Let's get out our Bibles today. And let's go to 1 John chapter 2. 1 John chapter 2. Father, we're so thankful today for your word, its life and health and strength to us. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for being our teacher and our guide, leading us into your perfect plan, opening our eyes, giving us ears to hear and receive what you would say today. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. 1 John chapter 2, verse 6. He who says he abides in him ought himself to walk kind of like he walked. Amen? Amen? Come on, anybody with me today? Well, he is Jesus here, and so we are to walk as best we can. Is that what it says? <laughs> Try your hardest. No, no. We are to walk. If you say you're in Him, walk. How? Just as He walked. That is guarantee that I can. I'm not to put Jesus in a separate class that's unattainable or unreachable by my walk. No, my call is to walk just like He walked. Yeah, good news. Good news. I'm empowered by God, enabled by God to do exactly that, to have a Jesus-like walk. All right, now let's go over to uh, Colossians, Colossians chapter 1, Colossians 1 verse 10, this prayer says here that you may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing Him. Again, notice, not that you may be worthy of the Lord, because in Christ we are worthy of Him, but He prayed that we would walk worthy of the Lord. Is there any New Testament biblical attention given to how we act? That that was real quiet. Maybe you think that's an automatic given, but... Old Testament, it was all about that, pretty much. New Testament, the focus really is on the grace of God and what He has done for us. And we should be ever so mindful of that. My question, though, in light of that, I was assuming that that was well-known and deeply grounded in every person's heart, and so there would be an obvious reaction to my previous statement. There is another series you should listen to. (laughs) So going back that... Can we see also that there is a tension in the New Testament given to not only what we have and who we are by His grace, but how we are to respond to that grace and walk that out? Yes, Yes, there is. Okay, now Ephesians, Ephesians chapter (laughs) 4. The prayer is that we might walk worthy of the Lord. And then then again, here the same thing. Paul writes, I therefore the prisoner of the Lord. So he went to jail for the Lord. Beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called. And so we've been spending the last number of weeks now on this subject, 
walk this way. And we are endeavoring to get our outward life, our walk with the Lord, consistent with who we are in Christ. To make sure there is not a divergence there between what we've received from Him and what we live and what we walk. They need to be the same. And so the Word of God gives us answers along these lines. Now, if you'll look over at, at uh, verse 17, Ephesians 17, let me remind you of where we, where we uh, finished last time. He said, This I say, therefore, and testify in the Lord that you should no longer walk. You should what? No longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk in the futility of their mind. And so what he was doing was giving us a graphic display, an example, not only of what we're supposed to do, but what we're not supposed to do, all right? Not only of how we're to walk, but how we're not supposed to walk. And he said, have you seen the heathens? Have you seen those who are outside of Christ? How they do things, how they think, how they really don't utilize their brain power in making decisions? He said, I don't want you to do that. I don't want you to walk like that. And he gave them, again, a graphic illustration of what not to do. I don't know about you, but I've been tremendously helped at times in my life by someone in a, you know, a encouraging and respectful way, identifying things in me that I was doing wrong. Not just, I mean, we all appreciate a pat on the back and you're doing one, two, and three, you're doing these things right But how many know if we're going to make progress in life, sometimes we have to be able to identify what we're not doing right. Hmm. I mean, if you went, if you had a doctor's appointment and, and he said, well, your, you know, your vision's good and your hearing's good and, uh, you know, your something else is good. Uh, and you walked out thinking I'm good, but you know, your heart was about to blow up and he didn't tell you. Well, how many would be disappointed in that appointment? (laughs) I didn't go there just to find out what's working. I'm there to find out what's not working so we can fix that and take care of it. Right? And so this is some of the stuff that we're dealing with. We're endeavoring to shine the light on, not just what Jesus has done for us. We do that all the time. But we're also to be able to, uh, uh, to locate ourselves as to where we are in relationship to the very great benefits and what we have in Christ. Everybody with me? And so if we come out of this seeing, wow, I'm totally limping. Uh, you know, my walk is off. Well, that can be a very positive thing because it's not a condemning worth. The New Testament doesn't condemn us, but it's an empowering thing where I can see, Oh, I see why that wasn't working. I see why this is all messed up in, in this area. See, I, I can't come to the conclusion from reading the Word of God that, that no matter what I do, because it's by, everything I receive is by His grace, that what I do is insignificant, that it doesn't matter. What I have seen in the Word of God is that everything that He provides for me by grace that I receive by faith, it can be hindered. It can be, you might call it, a blessing blocker. Because I don't earn God's blessing. He gives it to me for free. But I can interrupt the flow of it. I can be a hindrance to the process. You know, it's, it, it's kind of like if uh, when parents are training up their children... Now, someone could say, well, 
they might say, well, the Lord loves my kids and the Lord loves me and so they'll be fine. No matter what I do, they'll all just turn out great. No, they won't. <laughs> no, they won't. As long as I get them to accept the Lord. Well, that's a main thing in there. But how many know they can accept the Lord but have screwy thinking? Have messed up thinking and they can make wrong decisions. And even though I'm highly favored and blessed of God, I've been made righteous by the finished work of the cross, that doesn't mean I can't screw up my life. <laughs> that doesn't mean God won't allow me to make wrong decisions and approach things wrong. I could approach marriage wrong. I could approach child rearing wrong. I could approach other relationships or business or a gazillion things in life. I can do them the wrong way. And God's blessing doesn't just kind of make that all go away. And he said, well, that's all going to work anyway, even though you're totally dumb and you do things completely wrong because of my grace, everything's just going to be fine. No, no, no. God's grace empowers us to make right decisions. You know what I, I believe is one of the biggest hurdles people have in life? It's not direct demonic influence. It's just simply making wrong choices in life. We have all suffered for wrong decisions before where we just did the wrong thing. I can't blame God. Man, and oh, it just kind of drives you crazy how so many Christians will just turn that on. They'll make stupid choices and say, I wonder what God's doing trying to figure out what God's doing and just can't always understand him. Man, I had nothing to do with the Lord. We need to, we need to just man up and say, I just made the wrong choice. Lord, help me to make the right choice next time. Forgive me, help me, and he'll supernaturally deliver us and set us free and give us grace. But we still got to get our act together. That's part of what being a believer is about. We have access to help. We have access to wisdom. And the life of God, which infuses our lives. Praise God. And so we want to continue along these lines looking at this. Skip down to verse 25 with me. 25, therefore, he, this is some of the examples of how unbelievers do. Or you could say, the old guy used to do this, but the new guy doesn't. That's why he says, put on the new man. He said, therefore, putting away lying, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we, for we are members of one another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your wrath, nor give place to the devil. Let him who stole steal no longer, but rather let him labor, working with his hands what is good, that he may have something to give him who has need. Let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, but what is good for necessary edification, that it may impart grace to the hearers. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. And be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. And so he, what he's doing here, again, he's giving us a list of a lot of what not to do. Kind of like that old TV show, uh, What Not to Wear. Anybody ever see that? You know, because a lot of people have dressing problems, and uh, and their dress is hindering their life, <laughs> and the way they look. You know, people treat people different depending on how they look, and so I actually think it was probably of service, though I can't vouch for everything said because I haven't seen it, but uh, not all of it. I saw some of it years ago, but but that's kind of the same approach. When he tells us to put on the new man, he's telling us how to dress. He's, and what, 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 does that, what does that mean? He's telling us how to think. 
He's talking about a mindset. He said we need to think like the new guy, not the old guy. And just like someone might on a program like that, he might say, you know, don't wear that. That's totally out of style or totally doesn't match you. It, it's, it, it, it looks bad on you, makes you look bad. Same thing is true for our walk in Christ. Some things just don't fit us. They make us look bad. They don't work in our lives. And so uh, that's the kind of the approach that we're taking. So I've taken these scriptures that we've just read and I've put them into six categories, all right? Six specific things that he told us to do, to not do. He kind of gives us a little bit of both in there. But, but notice here, number one, he said that we should put away lying, Number one, we should put away lying. Now, it might be important to note that he's writing to Christians. He's writing to the church. Apparently, back in their day, now hold on, back in that time, it was a long time ago, but some people would get saved and they would still lie after they got saved. Now, I know we can't comprehend that or even relate to that at all, right? right? Or maybe... I don't know, but I think we should take to heart the word that says even to a child of God, to someone who's been saved, you need to tell the truth. You need to stop lying and begin to speak the truth. I guess it's possible to have a recreated born-again spirit, but if you've had a habit of or a practice of lying prior to coming to the Lord, that might continue unless you take swift action to stop it. I think this is one of the most important things that a Christian needs to get together in their life. I think lying is one of the worst things. This is my opinion, but it is first in the list. I think lying is one of the worst things a person can do. I think it's so very damaging to many things in in your life. I I believe it is a severe blessing blocker, to use that phrase again. I I believe that the person who's saved and sanctified and blessed and seated with Christ in heavenly places who tells lies interrupts the process. They interrupt the current of God's blessing and it doesn't work anymore. And maybe you've had a, a habit, a practice of that. Maybe it's, it's long-lived and, and it's deeply rooted into your thinking where you almost will lie or exaggerate or say things that are not true without even thinking. Let me encourage you. The Bible says to put on the new man. And that mindset, that way of thinking can be changed. All right? Understand this about the Lord. He is absolute truth. There is no darkness in him at all. There is no deceit. There is no lie. He will never deceive you. He will never, you know, tell you a half-truth. He will always be completely accurate and truthful in everything he said. He says it's just contrary to his nature to say anything else. There is zero darkness at all. Therefore, if I'm born of God, that's who I am. Hmm. And I think growing up, most parents, they do try to instill that into their kids. Why? Because they have trouble with them if they don't know what they're doing. They'll say, listen, young man, you better tell me the truth. We do not lie around here. And, and, and the truth is so vital for every relationship. But, but know, know, know this, that Satan himself is defined as being the source of lies. Jesus was speaking to religious people of his day in John chapter 8, and he made mention of the the devil. He said in verse 44, when he speaks a lie, 
he speaks from his own resources. For he is a liar and the father of it. He's a liar and the father of it. So it's directly contrasting the nature and the life of God. God is all about truth. The devil is all about a lie and all about deceit. And so where should we be in this, in this mix? How many know that lies are not color-coded in the Scripture? They don't have different colors and different sizes. You know, the proverbial little white lie. Sometimes people will justify, well, it's not a big deal. It's just a slight variation <laughs> of the truth. Or I said this to protect someone or a lot of different things. We need to understand God would never do that. Not for a second. If he would, the universe would fall apart because it's upheld by his very word. It is what keeps our molecules together. It is the faithfulness of God that he is absolutely true and what he says goes. It's a powerful thing. And he created us in his image. And so if we don't recognize the power and value of truth, we will we'll miss out on a lot. We'll destroy relationships. You know, if I have a relationship with you and you lie to me every now and then, I mean, not all the time, just, just occasionally, just once in a while, you lie to me. Do you know how often I trust you? Never. If you lie to me at all, I don't trust you at all. I can't because how do I know when you, when you lie and when you're telling the truth? You, you see, being a truthful person is a foundation for relationships, having trust with one another. You can see how God would say this and how the enemy would be the, opposed to it. He wants us to be deceitful and blow apart every trust and confidence and relationship we have. You know, I think it, it would do us well to recognize and not play games with people, uh, you know, mental things. I, I've, I've known those who, you know, a, a woman, she's having a, an affair with this guy. Uh, he's married. And she says, he's leaving uh, his wife for me. And we're going to have this, we have this special bond. And, and he's willing to give all that up because he loves me. And... Uh, uh, how many know the very fact that he would do that to his spouse, he is telling the new lady that I am that kind of person. All he's doing, he's not, it's not a maybe, it's a for sure. It's not just a, a word he's given. He's saying to her, basically what I did to my other, to my spouse that's the kind of person I am. And so it's not a matter of will he do that to you as well. No, he will. Not maybe, he, he guaranteed it. Not by giving a promise, but by showing it with action. This is who I am, this is what I do. And so you can, you, you can see how, how lies, man, it, it can really mess, mess people up. Um, if you're going to live a life of faith. It's based upon the knowledge that what you say is the real thing. I can never have strong faith if I occasionally say things that are not true. Because every time I do, my heart knows it. On the inside, I know it's not true. And Jesus said about the life of faith in Mark eleven twenty three. He said, if you would say unto this mountain, be removed, be cast into the sea and not doubt in your heart heart but believe the things that you 
say will come to pass, you'll have whatever you say. And so the necessary ingredient to being a faith person is that you believe the things that you say. If I don't believe, if I don't say things that are true, I don't believe what I say. If I don't believe what I say, when the mountain comes my way, my words are, are of ill effect. When I pray for someone, when I speak the word of God, when I make a declaration, it goes nowhere because my words don't carry any weight. You want your words to be carrying a lot of weight, for them to be powerful words, words of faith, words that you know are true and right. It'll affect so many things when you do. So he said, number one, put away lying. What are we supposed to do? Speak the truth. Jesus said the truth will make free. Let's speak words of truth. That doesn't mean you're an open book, and it doesn't mean you say everything you know to everybody. (laughs) You know, this is a chapter. This is a topic of maturity. And sometimes you know something, and you choose not to say anything. That's different than lying. (laughs) Right? There are a lot of things that should not come out of your mouth. Some people feel like it's their obligation to tell people everything they think. Well, I'm just an honest person, so let me tell you what I think of you. No, you are a carnal person who has no respect for anyone else. And a lot of things we need to hold on to and just not say anything about. Amen. Confidentiality is a a virtue to be desired. That, That God can entrust you with something and you won't yap. And you won't tell everybody else. All right. That's different than not being truthful, though. Praise God. Number two, he said here, he, he said, be angry and sin not. That won't let the sun go down on your wrath, neither give place to the devil. Okay. Now, this verse is uh, very commonly explained in this way, that when you're angry, you should deal with it before the end of the day. And make sure your anger doesn't get out of control so that it's not sin. And, uh, and so you have to deal with and control your anger. And I definitely think that's a godly principle that if you're angry about something that you get a hold of that, you don't let it perpetuate and, and, and in that regard if it's a negative type of anger. However, let's look at this verse today literally. That would be okay? Anybody, any literal people here? Let's, let's look at this exactly what it says. The scripture says, be angry. What does be angry mean? That means one, one of the things that should characterize the walk of the Christian is that they are angry. 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 The Bible tells us, be angry and don't sin and sin not. What do you mean don't? sin well don't sin by not being angry (laughs) be angry and don't sin some people are not angry therefore they are in sin (laughs) i'm having more fun than you (laughs) don't let the sun go down upon your Wrath, in other words, keep it up. Now, before you, if you throw you, before you stone me, <laughs> let me read a couple verses to you. You don't need to turn. I'll just give you these. Psalm 97, verse 10. It says, you who love the Lord hate evil. You love the Lord. What should you do? Hate I'm not a hater. You're supposed to be. If you love the Lord, you are to 
hate evil. Romans 12, 9 reads, Let love be without hypocrisy. Abhor what is evil. Cling to what is good. What are we supposed to do with evil? Tolerate it? Be nice to it? Abhor it. We are told in Scripture, and there's others, to hate evil, to abhor evil. Those things that are sinful, those things that are evil, we are to be violently opposed to it. We are to be dramatically in opposition to all things sinful, to all things evil. I am to be, I am to not to be passive towards sickness and disease. I'm not to be okay with the fact that relationships are blowing apart, with people being depressed and oppressed, people living in poverty. I'm not to be okay with that. I'm not to, and I tell you what, too many believers have been taught to be passive, to be wimps spiritually. People are taught just to sit back and, well, you know, whatever, just whatever God wants to do, it's just just kind of whatever He wants to do. Man, God already did. He's already moved. He's given you his name. He's given you his word and his authority. I know I'm tweaking some brains a little bit here. But but how are we supposed to think about evil, about wrongdoing? We're supposed to not be happy about it. We're supposed to be aggressive towards these things in the spirit and take a stand. Whether it attacks you or it attacks somebody else. Do we have any biblical examples of this? Can we think of the, you know, if you say you abide in him, you ought to walk as he walked, and that would be Jesus. Did Jesus ever express any anger? Was he in sin? No. Righteous? Holy? Doing the right thing? Sometimes he got on the case of the religious hypocrites of his day, dealt them a severe blow, you know, verbally. Remember the time when he walks into the temple? The temple was, you know, we might call it church, but it was the what he called. He said, my father's house shall be a house of prayer. It was to be spiritual activity going on there. There's to be prayer going on there. So helping people, good stuff. He goes in there and everyone's buying and selling, ripping people off. It turned into a, a place, a, a den of thieves, as he, as he called it. And he was not happy. He was not a happy camper when he walked in there and saw all that. He was moved righteously by God on the inside. What did he do? Uh, he flew off the handle, right? No, no, no. That's not the kind of anger we're talking about where someone's out of control. Someone starts hitting people and, and you know, and, and, and do it. No, no, no. We're never to be out of control. That's fruit of the spirit, self-control. Right, And Jesus didn't lack that. But he, the Bible says he sat down there and made a whip. So he knew what he was doing. He was very thoughtful. But he was upset and expressed it. <laughs> he made a whip. And when he got done, he got up and started swinging. Started turning tables over. And that might not be the picture of what most people think of Jesus. But that was, the, that was a necessary part in order to love what is right. To love good, to love God, to love what is true. You have to also be in opposition to everything that opposes it. Hallelujah. Start the car, be right out. (laughs) And so let's not give place to the devil. 
That's what it says. Neither give place to the devil. How? By being passive toward his activity. Hmm. By being passive. Be assertive inside. We're not attacking people. But there's something on the inside that rages within us. And it's God. We should have the same thoughts toward evil as he does. Let's be consistent with who we are as children of God. Amen. Number three. Number three. The scripture says here, stop stealing. Stop stealing. Again, hard to believe. Talking to believers here. Talking to Christians. Talking to, talking to the church. He said, why are you guys stealing stuff? I mean, amazing. Someone in church could be a thief. But here's the thing. Some of these folks, that's the way they were prior to getting saved. They were thieves. They would steal. You know, uh, they would steal stuff from other people. They would cheat on their taxes. They would do all kinds of stuff. They were thieves. He said, now that's inconsistent with who you are in Christ. So you need to stop doing that. But it's interesting what he told them. He said, don't steal. Get a job. Have some money so you can give. And so the picture he's painting here was not just to stop taking for yourself, for your own consumption. He said, I want you to stop doing this and start doing this. Don't just be in the middle and just stop and now you're doing nothing. Don't just wear nothing. <laughs> Don't just stop the bad or not wear ugly clothes. <laughs> Don't Stop wearing ugly clothes and wear something that looks good. Stop stealing, start working so you can give. It gives us a picture and a full rounded concept to embrace God's idea for his children. We don't take from others for our own consumption, but we do whatever we need to do. We work so that we have to give. It's a complete thing. Don't take, give. Not don't take, do nothing. Don't take, give. I don't want to be on the I don't want to be on the wrong side or neutral in this one either. Really, the thieves are not only those who just take from others, but there are the, the thieves are those who use the world, who use their job, who use whatever they can just for their own consumption. That is not consistent with who God is. It's not consistent with his character and nature. He is a giver. And until we get away from not only taking and consuming for ourselves, we get to the point that we are receiving in an honest way and giving towards others, we have not emulated the vision that God has for us and our walk is still off. So I didn't really want to come to church and find out I was a thief. <laughs> well, we do it in the nicest way. <laughs> you lying, thieving. <laughs> No, that's really not, again, the point is that if you're a believer, that's not who you are. It's not who you are. He didn't say that's your character, that's your nature, and that's, that's no. He's saying you're not that, so don't walk like that. That's not who you are, so live in a different way. Say amen if you can. Amen. If you can't, say oh me. Number four, number four. Let me give you a few more. Number four, next thing he said is control your mouth. That's my language. Control your mouth. The base, basically the way he said it. 
He said, uh, let, verse 29, let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, but what is good for necessary edification that it may impart grace to the hearers. How many know a person's mouth is one of the biggest things that gets them in trouble in life? Man, if we don't learn how to control our mouths, we will bring bad stuff to us and keep good stuff away. Likewise, with others, we'll bring, bring bad to them and keep good away. Listen to, the, to this verse from the Amplified Bible, and you can see on the screen. The Amplified says, Let no foul or polluting language, nor evil word, nor unwholesome or worthless talk ever come out of your mouth, but only such speech as is good and beneficial to the spiritual progress of others, as is fitting to the need and the occasion, that it may be a blessing and give grace, God's favor, to those who hear it. Is that a good guideline, man? Is, is that a, that, that's a, that's a good uh, piece of wisdom there as to what we should say, what we should not say, what we should allow out of our mouths and what we should, what we, what we should not. I, I don't think that when the Bible says, speaks of corrupt communication, that it's just limited to like cussing and stuff. Uh, you know, if you're a cusser, uh, you should probably stop and be my advice. That kind of messes things up. Uh, I mean, I don't. God's never going to cuss you out. <laughs> the angels don't hang out sometimes together and just tear it up. And uh, that's inconsistent with the life and love and nature of God. Therefore, it should be with us as well. And if that's been your past, you know, maybe you cuss like a sailor before coming to the Lord. Uh, putting on the new man will help you. I know some people struggle with that. Man, I just, I get mad and I let it rip. Uh, the Lord will help you to get control of your mouth because it's a big key to, to where you're going in life. God made it that way. He spoke the world into existence. He speaks and He created us, us that way as well where we use our words to, to change things. And so we got to get control. I, but I don't believe it's limited to that, limited to just cussing and, and cursing and using profanity and, and things of that nature. I, I think also probably, you know, gossip, probably griping probably complaining those things aren't edifying either <laughs> and we should be in in this mode where we are purposeful purposefully using our words to lift to build to edify to change things that are bad if it's wrong man i'm not happy about it and i'm going to use the word of god to change it i'm going to use the word of god to bring life and correction and, and, and to, to a wrong situation but we should lift amen amen and Praise God. Did I already talk about the bow and arrow? You know, it's, it's kind of like the bow and arrow. You know, how many know you, you, pull, the, you pull the arrow back and, and you let it go. After you let it go, it doesn't do any good to say, oops. <laughs> or, <laughs> sorry about that. <laughs> Is that my arrow sticking out of your chest? You know, I didn't mean that. I mean... I hope you'll forgive me. And well, they may forgive you, but nevertheless, they still have an arrow <laughs> that has punctured them and caused them great damage. This is how we should view words, recognizing that the power of them, once they're released, you can't take them back. You can receive forgiveness from the Lord, no doubt, but they, they can do harm. They can do damage or they can uh, bring life and they can help. And let's make sure that we uh, understand the power of those things number five he said here don't grieve the spirit of god don't grieve the spirit of god are you aware 
of the presence of the Holy Spirit in your life? Do you know that He's always with you? Do you know that He's always there? He never leaves. Uh, I, I think many times um, people in our day, in our world, uh, they live conscious of others while they're around them. I'm aware of you in the room here today, but so many times people aren't aware of the very literal presence of the Holy Spirit. And, uh, and if they were, you know, it would alter some of the things they say and do. It really would. I mean, if, if you ever had a conversation about another person where if you knew that they were standing right behind you, maybe you would have changed what you said. It, it, was the, it was the fact that you weren't aware that they were there that gave you a freedom to speak. But if you were aware of their presence, you probably would have altered what you said. Likewise, when a child of God lives and acts and speaks as if the Holy Spirit wasn't there, it really changes things. Where we go, what we say, what we do, He's not a condemning spirit. He's not there to beat us up and knock us down. But I tell you what, he is a person. And according to the scripture, he can be grieved. He can be vexed. He can be saddened by our action. He doesn't leave us, not in the new covenant. He never leaves us or forsakes us. He's always with us. But we should be respectful. He's holy. His name is holy. His first name is holy. Second name is spirit. Right? His, I mean, he is, he is the personification of holy. And we should be aware of his presence and how that will help us, watch, to walk right. Will it? Being conscious of him. Because here's the thing. This scripture, he doesn't really give the details of what it means to grieve the spirit. But I think we can use common sense and know how we might grieve another person and how we might grieve him. But reminding ourselves, he's here. He's with me. Talk to him now. Come on now, he's here, he's with you all the time. That will help there to be a, an honor, a holy respect for him at all times. Number six, number six, the last one here today. Notice the scripture says, I'll put these all together. He said, remove bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, evil speaking, and be kind, tenderhearted, and forgiving. See, this is the kind of anger that definitely bad you can see by the context of it you can see you can see here that we're not to be bitter maybe in the in your old life someone would do you wrong and you'd feel like you were empowered and had a right to be upset and bitter and hold a grudge and uh, but that's not the way we are that's the old dude talking if you're still allowing yourself to go there where you hold a grudge against people you're bitter against people for what they've done to you and what they've how they've hurt you no that guy's dead. Scripture says put on the new man. That's a way of thinking. This is what you're supposed to wear now. We don't think like that anymore. And I know that's a challenge. You say, yeah, uh, the way my circuits are wired, they still think that way. <laughs> I know that's why we've got to be renewed in the spirit of our mind. And we no longer live that way. We don't hold things against people. We don't let ourselves, you know, wrath is like in a... In, in, an outburst it's like an expression of anger towards someone and uh, it, it, it's violent anger it's rage that should have nothing to do we should not have violent anger and rage no that's the old dude trying to come out of the coffin what do we do with him man shut it get back in there because <laughs> he'd try to resurrect if you let him 
in the spirit of your mind, in how you think. How are we today? Tender-hearted. That's who we are in Him. I'm a tender-hearted person. I'm a forgiving person, a loving person. Isn't that consistent with God's heart and His nature? We, We are forgiving people. Amen? Say it with me. Say it out loud with me. I am a tender-hearted, forgiving, and loving person. Yeah, if you feel like you're lying, you're not. You're just identifying with who you are in Christ as opposed to identifying with your flesh or the old guy. We make that decision every day. Who am I going to align myself with? Who am I going to identify? What am I going to say about myself? A lot of people use their mouth against their own lives. Oh, I'm just not a very patient person. Well, that's like cussing. You know, or I, I just have a hard, uh, you know, I'm not a very forgiving person. Well, sure you are. It's hard for me to believe. No, it's not. You're a believer. That's hard for me to hear from God. No, it's not. You're his sheep. You know his voice. You know, it's hard for me to have control. No, you have the fruit of the Spirit. That is self-control. It's hard for, you know, when people say all this kind of stuff and all they do is reinforce the old dude who was crucified with Christ. Let's identify with the new man. Let's speak those things about ourselves and watch God's blessing flow unhindered. Flow without any kind of blockage in the way. That's the Lord's plan. Amen. Amen. Father, we're so thankful today. Oh, so thankful for your faithfulness, for your kindness toward us for your goodness. Lord, your love is everlasting. Your love is unfailing. And I thank you for working in us today, both to will and to do of your good pleasure. We're created in righteousness and true holiness, created to live for and live with and walk with you all of our days. And by your word, Lord, we are empowered. We are strengthened. We are enabled to stand and to walk just as He walked, worthy of our calling. Thank you, Lord, for helping us today. We give you the glory. We give you the honor. All of the praise for every good thing that happens. In Jesus' name.